Hello everyone and welcome to episode 158 of Korea Podcast. Our today's guest is our today's guest is Mr. Boy Sichterman. He's a concept designer working at Godzilla Games from Frankfurt, Germany. They have a lot of upcoming projects that are soon to be announced, so keep an eye on that. And before we begin this episode, I need to mention that in the captions, you, as you can see, I, I do this all the time. You guys probably got used to it. I do this shout out in the beginning of episodes from now on because I think it's important. Uh, you can see in the four contact section uh, his Instagram handle, his art station link, his Twitter, his website, all that there, so you can check it out, more of his stuff. And with that being said, uh, how are we doing today? Oh, uh, yeah, doing good. Just uh, had a chill day outside, went uh, went skating a bit, uh, and now it's time for some art talk. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So um, I was wondering, like you know, I went through a lot of your stuff, uh, especially your works on a like art session, and, and it, it's a kind of random question, but when was the first time you got into 3D, like the first 3D software you use, you know? Like, because I see, because here's mm-hmm. the thing, in the, in terms of some of your hard surface design stuff, like, you know, uh, I was kind of like, you know, fascinated to know, like, you know, what was the tipping point for you that you started using and learning 3D? Yeah. Um, well, it was back at, um, what do you call it? I think middle school, it's called. Um, it's always, I never know how you translate this, the type of school from Dutch to English, but <laughs> I think it's middle school. Um, I was playing a lot with uh, After Effects, doing like silly video edits, like filming myself running around with guns, and then I would add muzzle flashes and After Effects and stuff. Um, and then at some point, I went a bit further and I started uh, modeling stuff to comp in in after effects like i made a f22 raptor for example uh, and i made like a little video from my bedroom when i live with my parents uh, that that this thing was flying over the house and um yeah i would comp it in uh, and that's kind of how i started uh, with with maya back then um and then i slowly um yeah you know be, want, wanted to make more things i started making the like the classic AK-47 or the, I made a tank with like six barrels or something like that. Like, you know, the first things you make when you're young and you discover 3D, I guess. Um, and then, um, yeah, from there, um, I went to um, art school in, in my hometown, which just opened up. Uh, and yeah, it basically went from there. All right. And that was the case for 3D, but what was it when you, like, what was the moment that you decided to become an artist? Like, you know, that okay. you say, oh, I can do this for a living. You know, what was the moment that hmm. made you go have that thought? It, I think it was um, when I was almost done with uh, middle school and I got my diploma. Like, first, I actually wanted to join the Marine Corps in the Netherlands. Um, but uh, then my dad highly disencouraged me to go there because uh, he's actually, he's, he's a Marine. So he told me, like, just don't go there. Like, there's so many techs cuts or not tax cuts what do you call it like uh, the government Shortcuts? is basically no, it's oh, like no, the, go- the government is not funding it like they ah. um it's it's not it doesn't pay very well there's not not much room to grow in basically uh, so he said just uh, see if you can find something else that you like more uh, and i kind of agreed like okay maybe this is not the best idea um and then i found out that this art school was opening uh, in my hometown and it was actually getting pretty good um, reviews and stuff, uh, so I went for the for the open day and um, just to to see what what it's like, and it, it seemed super chill. Um, and it's like it was pretty hardcore as well, which is something I like. Like I don't want to go somewhere and uh, back then at least, <laughs> like I was like I don't want to have go there and it like half acid if that makes sense. I like it. It seemed pretty 
you know, like you have to put in the effort or else it's not going to work basically. Um, and I, I like that about it. Uh, so yeah, that's where I went. And then, um, yeah, that's pretty much it, I guess. <laughs> that's right. where the art, it started, the art started. Yeah. Here's the thing that I'm kind of like, uh, like just, uh, kind of fascinated by not fascinated surprised by it that's a correct word mm-hmm. um like even for countries like even germany like deutschland netherlands um wait i, I think deutschland is germany right did i just mess that up that's yeah that's germany yeah yeah sorry <laughs> uh, <laughs> netherlands um scandinavian countries especially like norway i heard a lot of news that their military doesn't have enough funds which was kind of odd to me yeah like, how i mean they're, they're first world it's... countries how I think it's the mentality of the public and the government. Like they're just not really into the military. I think um, so. From like always, for example, after World War II, they they had lots of funding, and the military was was like I, I think four times as big as it is now. And then over time, they're like, ah, we don't need it anymore, and they start cutting and cutting and cutting uh, until it's there's basically nothing left. Uh, and then something happens again, uh, like recently happened, for example, and then the public is like, okay, we need the military again. So now they increase funding again. And it's like this cycle of, ah, we don't need it. Ah, now we need it and we don't need it. So it's, I think it's just, a, yeah, like what the public opinion uh, kind of goes towards. Hmm. Interesting. And, I mean, um, I think so. I don't know. I'm not a politician or anything. <laughs> I, but, know, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course. And, um, <laughs> And here's the thing, like, you know, I'm, I'm just something that's been just catching my eye, just uh, that's, you know, alien painting that you have, like, on your left. Uh, yes. Yeah, here. Uh, did you draw through that or what's the story behind that? Uh, it's no, I didn't draw it. It's from um, Pascal Blanche is, I think, art director. Was that Ubisoft, I think, or something? Um, I, I just found this on his uh, art station store, uh, and I thought it was super cool. I mean, I'm obviously super into Alien. I think it's one of the or Aliens as well, um, like awesome movies and kind of they set the stage for sci-fi as we know it today. Um, so I just loved what this what this one looked like. This this little painting he did, um, and I also got a tattoo of it as well. Actually, this exactly the same one on my arm. Um, so yeah, I, I just think Alien is super cool, and like the whole composition of this image he made is is awesome. <laughs> awesome, and like, actually that's a cool painting. Honestly, I mean for audio listeners, you need to check out check out YouTube. So sorry about that. <laughs> and um, here's the thing. All right, so right now you're as I say in the introduction, you're working at uh, Godzilla Games, right? Correct. Yeah. And tell us the story of like how you basically got there and you know your experience working there and also um is it about your main branch of design that you're working on which is of course concept design and tell mm-hmm. us about that as well if you can uh sure i'll start with my journey to get there i guess um so first uh i did my internship in spain in valencia at elite 3d uh, where I was about two years doing prop art and environment art. So I wasn't doing concept art um, full-time yet. Uh, though I was doing it in my spare time, I was always... I'd like I never wanted to make something um, like because at my work I'm constantly making stuff from real life. Like you get you get a picture of uh, of this, you make you make it, um, and you try to make it as real to to the real thing as possible, basically. Um, and of course you have to deal with low bodies and bakes and texturing. Um, so in my spare time I always liked to do 
well, concept art. So make something from scratch that's just that doesn't exist yet. That was always super intriguing to me. Um, but I didn't feel good enough yet to do it full time. Um, then at some point, I switched over to um, to CIG or Cloud Imperium Games in Frankfurt, um, where I was doing environment art full time, which was in a studio instead of outsourcing because I wanted to um, experience like the full studio, well, the full studio experience. Like what 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 is it like to work in a team and um, to really have a, have a say in the game itself as well, basically, and really drive the process, if 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 you will. Um, and then after doing that for I think it was three, almost four years. I think it was close to four years. Um, I decided to make the full switch to concept uh, concept design uh, and joined Godzilla as a concept designer. Like I felt I was finally ready. Like I, I had the skills to do it. <laughs> and for a lot of our listeners who might not know the difference between concept design and concept art, um, could you explain to us you know, what's the main differences between those two roles? Uh, sure. I... I guess maybe it's a little bit subjective, but um, like I see a lot of studios throwing around these these uh, terms and like, but also the work they do is kind of mixed, if that makes sense. Um, but for me, it means um, concept design is you really focus on well more product design or like more uh, individual assets, for example, like you, you design a, a gun or something in 3D or you design uh, like a, an, an asset in 3D or a vehicle or, or something like that, which is really um, like like almost like product design, basically. Uh, whereas concept art, it can be, it it's more like painting um, like an image, which could be an environment or a character. Um, but for example, a concept designer probably wouldn't do a character like that that would be handled by a character or a concept artist um so to say if that makes sense yeah. Yeah, actually definitely. i think it's, there's a bit of a blurry line but i think it's mostly product focused as a concept designer in 3d uh, mostly you could say kind of like you know concept design is kind of like um coming up with original designs mostly like i mean of course you get references from like you know the real world and you know inspirations but in um yeah, as you said, it's a bit subjective, but in general, I guess, yeah, when you said like it's kind of like prototype design, I, I kind of get what you mean. And, yeah. I think um, 3D and 2D is actually a big, uh, is, is where a lot of the differences lay. Like a concept designer can, like, usually works in 3D a lot and sends and delivers like a 3D model. Um, at most of the time, not always, I also do 2D stuff, but um, I think that's, yeah. Uh, sorry for interrupting. I just <laughs> no, yeah. no worries. We're not interrupting. Go on, please. About like you know, yeah, especially as you said, even we had a little talk, you know, before we started a podcast about the whole subject of like two D versus three D, and mm. um, I mean, I'm gonna say my little piece on it, and I, I want you to tell us, you know, your whole idea and just philosophy for it. I yep. mean, for me, basically, um, for me, two D is of course I always. Like everyone has to have my sketchbook behind me, like near me. If there's any idea popping to my head, I do a quick rough sketch so I can have it as a guide or something so I can, you know, implement it to any 3D software that I'm using, whether it be ZBrush, whether it be Blender or anything. And um, I mean, that's basically, you know, my take on it. You know, it just depends like how well you think you can um, make it, make a quick rough sketch out of it, whether it be 3D mm-hmm. or 2D. Um, but of course, I'm not a professional. You know, I haven't worked in a professional setting yet. So, as someone who did, what do you think? 
Um, yeah, I think it really depends on the process the studio chooses to to go for. Um, of course, like I always use 2D at the very very early exploration phases, um, and also during the whole 3D process, I will still do 2D overpaints to to try quick things that would take way longer uh, in, in 3D, right? Um, but I think the the, the biggest difference is of when I deliver a 3D model of, of a design, it's going to be way easier for um, for any production modeler or 3D artist or hard surface artist to, to take that and make it make the high poly from it um, and then bake it down to a low poly, etc. for the whole game-ready um, art phase. Um, but um, when doing 2D, for example, like I often, for example, for weapons, right? Uh, when people do 2D... Uh, sketches of weapons it's usually a side view just because it's the fastest and the easiest but that also means that there usually isn't like like you cannot really see the top of the weapon Uh, you can't really see the back of the weapon in 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 the 2d sketch Uh, whereas in 3d you have to figure it out you're you're not going to give someone a 3d model where there is no yeah like the back part is just flat or something like that um so that that's one thing where 3d really shines uh, but um, I think another important thing that that's this is just me because I'm not very skilled in 2D yet. Like I'm trying to get there, uh, but um, in 2D you're often thinking you're thinking in 2D as well a lot, uh, especially when you start doing it like me. Like of course, there's loads of talented 2D artists who who don't have this issue, but. Um, like you're thinking in 2D, which means you're not thinking about how the shapes flow over in in like the 3D space. Like how you can always see when some when um, like beginner artists are making something in 2D and they model it in 3D. It basically looks like a 2D sketch extruded, like the weapon. It's like it's like it looks like the side view of the weapon that is extruded in 3D, because they didn't think about how the how the side view kind of the shapes mold over into like the, the top of the gun and the bottom of the gun and etc. Um, and I think there 3D um, really helps a lot. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's actually a good point when you said you can't, you're thinking in 2D, but there's a lot of things that you're not taking into consideration when trying to make that quick sketch in 2D of a 3D yeah. object. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Especially like, you know, for me, like, here's a weird thing. My brain just, since I was a kid, worked in 3D, even before knowing, like, you know, 3D software, you know, that's just how I imagine things. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, trying to, like, implement them in 2D is way harder for me. But, yeah. but I mean, if I, like, you know, do a rough sketch of something 2D, I can quickly, like, imagine other sides of it in 3D, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the the best 2D artists are the ones that, for example, for if we take weapons, for example, which I do a lot, um, it, like the best is when they do it in like a, a third point perspective, like where, where it's like kind of a top side view of the weapon or front top side view, if that makes sense. Um, like those are always going to be the most useful. Um, and then you also have to think about, of course, what does a weapon look like from uh, in the game when you hold it? Like, you, like you're you're always seeing it from the from basically behind the weapon if that makes sense which is also something that you don't really know like you can make an awesome looking 2d sketch of a weapon but then you see it in the game perspective where you're looking at it from the back always and it might look super boring for example um yeah and here's a little very like meta thing that you might start working on like the left side of the gun because you think, oh, you know, most FPSs are just like this, you know, it's on your right side. But a lot mm-hmm. of games have the option to put the gun here on your left side for people who are left-handed and are more inclined to use, you know, that way. 
<laughs> that becomes another challenge, you know? This is getting kind of meta, you know? So do yeah, you make yeah. both sides the same for the players to have the same experience or are you going to change it, you know? So for someone who's left-handed, they're going to see a different thing for someone. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it makes it even trickier. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least you can flip the 3D model very easily, so that, that yeah, helps. Sure. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's still kind of like, you know, um, decreases that, you know, sense of like... Uh, not not realism. No, I'm I'm not looking for realism here. Actually, that sense of depth in like the feel of that, like the world building and the storytelling. It kind of you know makes it kind of off if you just copy paste both sides the same. You know, so it kind yeah, of yeah. sometimes yeah. you're forced to do a little bit of like changes. I think you know. I mean, it always needs to be asymmetric of course that's that's like one of the base rules for for designs i think isn't never try to make something perfectly symmetric um so that that helps already because <laughs> uh, then you flip it and you know it's still asymmetric it doesn't <laughs> if that makes sense hmm. yeah definitely and what are some of your favorite guns you've played in games since we're a kid Whew. That's a tough question. I, I really like the weapons in Doom always, just because they, oh, they feel so extremely overpowered. Like it's ridiculous, but I love that. And then combine that with the, like the crazy metal wrist and everything, um, it, it always gives like a, a cool a cool feeling when you run around with those guns. <laughs> um, then I think the guns in Modern Warfare are super cool. Um, the the battle royale uh, of Call of Duty basically, because uh, or, or Warzone it's called um, because they are super grounded, um, but they also like they look believable basically, but they're also not like the real thing. It's a, it's a very nice uh, balance I think in the game. Um, then Half Life Alex I think or Half Life in general like they, their gun designs are super unique and, and interesting as well and the sound designs especially are are super good in all the Half Life games um, super recognizable um, so I guess those are like my top three maybe <laughs> yeah <laughs> interesting um, for oh, me Wolfenstein was cool as well actually oh yeah Wolfenstein definitely uh, one of the first the uh, first persons I played was uh, Serious Sam the first encounter I don't know if you played that it's uh, from a Serbian mm. team called Crow Team something like that yeah, yeah. and uh, like their minigun I, ju I just love the minigun I still love minigun as a gun like since I was a kid I was just one of my dreams mm. is to one day fire a minigun honestly like I love it it's so cool yeah, and, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and another thing was like the games in the very old FPS. It's not, so, I, I mean, very old for my standard is not actual real. It's like <laughs> early two thousands FPS. It's like I, there was a game called IGI, and like I just love the graphic hmm. of it, like how the character like hold the grenade, or I don't know, just a simple MP five or something. You know, there's mm -hmm. some sort of simplicity to the models back then. I mean, because you, you were forced to do like simple models because the graphics were so um, as complex as right now. But I think there's there's a line between like how complex you should make your piece versus like how yet simple it should be. You know, to have that kind of appeal. Mm -hmm. And yeah. because I think that's one of the big challenges right now in design. When I see like you know top AAA you know projects sometimes the games they make yeah it's it's an interesting discussion actually i think the like something that i learned uh, over the last few years a lot is that it's really easy to make something super detailed 
but it gets really hard to make something look nice that that's like super under detailed basically like then you get into the product design territory where like um like websites like le manouche or something like that where it's like all very minimalistic soft shapes uh, but very well executed like that's kind of what i'm what i'm striving for now is being able to do that type of stuff um which is that yeah now I'm kind of derailing it, but it's because you were talking about the details versus, um, uh, well, I guess more like implementation versus just really cool looking models. Like if something is very well implemented, that's actually more important than having a really detailed model um, in the game, for example, um, which is, again, a different topic, I guess, I'm, but um, which are both interesting to talk about. Like, um, I guess what you mean is mostly when you have a very detailed uh, or not detailed weapon, but like back in the days, it wasn't so much about having the sickest looking gun, but they focus more on how does it how does it handle in the game, like what got, what animations it has, and um, how does it how does the design play together with sound and stuff like that. Or did, did you mostly mean um, just that they were less detailed? No, I mean, like the thing is, like as you said, like you know. In, in before like you know 20 for example 20 years ago they weren't so concerned with you know like you know uh oh does it look so, does it look like the best gun right now that's out mm. there no they were like all right does the game does it, does it make the game crash or not does it does it work <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 and like kind of like you know unintentionally their their design like principle tend like just uh gravitated towards like you know being more simplistic, being more minimalistic, baking the mm-hmm. textures as much as possible, like, you know, not just using normal maps for everything instead of, like, you know, just making the making more polygons in a model or something like that, mm-hmm. you know? And for me personally, some of those games, and I'm not saying because of nostalgia or because of a kid, but honestly, even right now when I play some of them, play back some of them, they're, they're kind of more enjoyable. They're, they're kind of, like, you know, feel like cozier in a sense when you see it as an experience of a video game like mm-hmm. like a good example was IGI as I said let me see um, and our example could be hmm, like Vampire the Masquerade from 2004 it's, it still stands the test of time have you played that game uh, actually never played it no um, I, I should because I, I hear quite a lot of times that this name is thrown around so I'm I'm very curious but yeah, I never played it I mean, there, there isn't much guns in there but the fact is, like, there are so many minimalistic things in terms of graphics. I mean, of course, because of because of course, after that time, you know, the graphics were so good. Mm-hmm. But being able to use that minimal amount of like you know equipment and you know potentially you have as a studio to make something memorable is, I think, the main skill of a good studio. Main like attribute yeah, yeah. of a good studio because uh, th- those because at the at the like 20 30 years ago there were so many limitations so they had to force the juice of their creativity to actually come up with a mm-hmm. uh, in terms of design implementation everything to make a good experience for the player and but right now because everything is so fast let me give you another example just let me give you another analogy for example 200 years ago like you know if you were born what uh, occupation or you think you've had? What do you think you would do? You wouldn't say, oh, I, I want to be a 3D like graphic designer or something. You probably were like, um, all right, I guess my father's a woodcutter. I'll become a woodcutter too. You know, something like that. You know, or me, uh, oh, my dad was a fisherman or or not, if that's not the case, for example. You know, you know things were simple, simpler. I mean, the options yeah. were much less. That's a problem. And now, because of like so many options we have in everything, like, for example, go to a supermarket, try to, you want to buy ketchup. There's like 40 
kinds of ketchup, you know? <laughs> and you're kind of like, well, what do you do? So you just look at the prices and you're like, all right, I get cheap as well or something like that. But you get the point. Like, you know, right now, because of the like the studios, there's so many good softwares, there's so many plugins, add-ons, there's so many things you can do right now that are kind of crippled, but what should I do? But for example, <laughs> like 20, 30 years ago, for example, you want to assemble a team. There weren't much people who were like, you know, in 90s, for example, oh, I want to work in video game industry. That was the number at the time was so low because the future and industry wasn't as developed as it is today. So you, for example, gather three of your friends, all right, you're, you're the programmer and you have an idea and you only have a one art guy in your team. And that one art guy, all right, has a certain style. I mean, of course, every artist has a style. And that style becomes a signature of the game. And what I'm trying mm. to say by that. Like things were, options were lower. So the options they had, they used it properly to the maximum. Yeah, that's yeah. the main key, in my opinion. Of course, I mean, I, I'm I'm not a professional developer or something. I'm just some video game, just nerd or something, you know. Uh, but <laughs> I would also love to know your opinion on this stuff as well. What do you think? Yeah, no, I th- I think um, that's pretty spot on. Um, I mean, I of course I have only been in game. Uh, inside a game studio for uh, what is it seven eight years now so i don't know how it was like 20 years ago Dude, i have that's no a idea lot. don't don't <laughs> act like seven eight years that's a lot man. <laughs> oh yeah no, time time goes too fast actually but yeah <laughs> um no i um but i i think you 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 hit it on the nail when um when like things were simpler but more polished i feel like back in those days like um like right now, for example, we we might make a weapon in I don't know a month uh, or something with 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 couple, like very few people, um, and it goes from concept to being to implemented like in a super short time. Whereas probably back then, I would guess it would take a lot longer to implement it properly, and they would also think about it a lot longer and make sure the implementation is like it just by how, how the process was back then. I think it was probably also uh, implemented way more polished or like they like it's they have to allocate a huge resource to that feature so they, they better make sure it's going to be awesome when implemented um and it's it's probably ends up being a bigger part of the gameplay um as well than it is today because i feel like every weapon in those older games are like they're all super unique compared to each other whereas now in games you have like a lot of weapons that are kind of the same actually um so they have less impact when you when you find them and equip them Oh, Which yeah. it's kind of getting into a design talk then, or like a like a, a like a game design talk, but um, but that's also fun. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And uh, like there was like you know even even little things like the ammo boxes in games. I'm kind of sick that there isn't much unique ammo boxes. I know I know this is kind of like mm. so meta and niche what I'm talking about. Every, like. Most ammo boxes in every game that I see are just the most generic things. And I'm not just ammo boxes. A lot of little things that if you pay a little, show a little love and affection to it, it could actually make it more lasting and like signature. For example, Hitman 1, you played, have you played Hitman? The first Hitman. <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, I think I did, but that was probably super young as well back then, I so know. I don't remember that much about it. <laughs> you know, Hitman 2, 3, 4, but about yeah. Hitman 1, here's the thing. In three months, I'll be 25 years old, all right? And the time I played like Hitman, I was probably like 6, 7, all right? Yeah. And here's the thing. At the, at the time, you know, when I was a kid, when I used to play the game, I was like, I was always rushing to get ammo, all right? 
because you mm-hmm. because the ammo is not so much in the game because it's kind of like a stealth assassination type of game, you know. So here's me. Every type of ammo had a like. A, for example, I distinctly remember the shotgun rounds. I think had little red, bright red stripe on them, and like the normal nine millimeter handgun, you know, Breta Colt Breta something was that had like a blue stripe on it, and they were mm-hmm. like signature like that, and I still remember it, you know, and yeah. it, like even. <laughs> Like here's the thing. Oh, another thing. Like the med med packs in the old battlefield. Oh, yeah. Like the what's the green bag with like with like the white uh... white circle red thing. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of inspired by the med the med bags of uh, medics in uh, World War Two or One, I think, because the design is from them. And like whenever I see like that kind of like you know pattern like red white circle and just red thing with that ruggedy leathery texture on it mm. and uh, my brain can't help but go to like kind of get happy you know because i'm like oh i'm Being nostalgic I'm, yeah but i mean aside from the nostalgic factor but simple design but yet effective you know right now mm-hmm. how see from the last like you know couple of like you know top triple a games that you played right for example for example call of duties i don't know i haven't played new call of duties right mm-hmm. how many designs of ammo boxes you remember they probably hire someone to like design like a certain ammo like in 3d and just said make mm-hmm. it an asset and but the guy probably puts a lot of like you know love and effort into it but the whole design trend is kind of i think that they're missing that kind of like I don't know that factor that made those things memorable, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I I wonder if that's just because everything in games has more details. So it's you you don't just have to remember a very simple shape, but you have to remember a very simple shape with loads of like medium and smaller shapes inside of it. And because of that, it may, it's maybe harder to to memorize it. Like it it's hard to just see it as the small cube or the big cube or the the, the rectangle. You like. It's too detailed now, yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's not too detailed, but it has less of an impact because it, it is just more detailed nowadays. Uh, something like that. Hmm. Yeah, and another thing is, like, for example, I think, like, uh, for for example, Fallout. Have you played Fallout games? Yeah, I love them. Yeah, 3 yeah. and New Vegas and nice. 4. Yeah. Uh, New Vegas was, was actually in my top three favorite games of all time. And, uh, yeah. for example, the laser rifle, all right? The re- mm-hmm. The whole gun, like the reload animation is kind of different. It's like you, you take a bulb and you just put it there and you just reload it. It's unique, you know? It kind of mm-hmm. feels it feels that way. Now, right now, if I had, if I was in charge, like, for example, like, you know, redesigning the whole thing with the laser rifle, I would have probably, like, you know, worked on the whole shape of the, like, you know, the thing that you, basically the battery thing that you put in the gun to make it kind of around and the whole thing kind of whole. And every time the animation should do, the guy probably like tosses it around in the air and then packs it, you know? I think Battlefield reloads are kind of like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think Battlefield, they have a lot of cool reloads. They have like five different ones or something per gun. I'm not not sure on the number, but uh, they also have secret reloads that have like a super small chance of happening, which are really hilarious sometimes. I like those type of details. <laughs> yeah, I think that that thing I love, love that kind of um, attention to detail to games, and I think those little things makes the games for me more memorable. For example, Valorant. Yeah. Have you yeah. have you played Valorant? Uh, yeah, not that much actually, but um, but a little. Yeah, yeah. And I, here's I the thing, so, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but do you know, like one of the things that I love in Valorant, like you know, when before the round you just go around with knife and just punching everything with the knife, you know, basically sometimes, you know, out of boredom for the round to start. 
yeah, like pre-round bonus. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and here's the thing: every like not every single there. It's not that super detailed, but I love the attention to detail. For example, if you just hear a metal, it makes a clank sound. If you hit mm. a wood, it makes it like a wood hitting sound. If you hit like a just dry cement wall, like I, I love that. Honestly, yeah. Like, like when you shoot water, it do splash. But for example, all of the stuff I'm saying are gone from like a game like Cyberpunk 2077, which was which is another topic, of course, and our big topic. But in yeah, general, yeah. um. Like that type of like, and another example I could give is actually I was just watching Ponyo, that gay that movie from Studio Ghibli. Uh, mm. Probably have you watched that? Uh, which one from them? Ponyo. Ponyo. Uh, no, I think I've only seen three movies of them. I because I only recently started watching all of them, uh, and I yeah, went same through three. Yeah, that's so that's so amazing. But yeah. um, I don't think I've seen Ponyo yet. No. You know. <laughs> Like, there was a scene where the boy was trying to make noodles, all right? I'm just going to say this. Mm. Like, there was a lot of examples of the, this type of, like, attention to detail. And here's the thing. Not all attention to detail is good. You shouldn't just overly be attentive of, like, simple stuff and just make it too much complicated and just overanalyze it. No. Like, genuine, like, you know, attention to detail. For example, the boy was just cracking noodles into his bowl. And there was, like, little crumbs, like, in real life. And you tried making noodles, the crumbs fall out. And while the focus was on the girl making the noodle, on the background, the boy was just picking up the crumbs and, like, just so subtly putting it back, putting it back in the pot. I just, I love mm-hmm. this type of, it feels real. It kind of, you could kind of connect with this kind of type of products. And I think if that yeah. kind of sort of thing would be applied to a video game or just any. I don't know, medium, you would see much, you would get much better quality product. Simple as that. Yeah, yeah I, I think probably most developers want to do this for sure. Uh, but then you get to the whole issue, th- this big issue nowadays of publishers pushing the game out as fast as possible. Um, I, I think that's probably holding back a lot of these studios from, from doing exactly that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, for example, uh, of course, Naughty Dog does a great job of those small details with Last of Us and Uncharted. Um, they, they have loads of those small, like small little cool details that probably took them way too long to implement. Um, but because it's in there, it just makes the game like that extra 10% better. Um, and yeah, like it's yeah, often small details like that are actually like a huge um time sync for developers to to implement but so it's yeah you have you have to make sure it's worth it when you commit to it but yeah yeah yes are gone no i mean i was just going to say like i I think it's worth it um and i i'd rather have developers spent like a year longer on the game and then having that extra like polish and and like randomness in it um than when it's yeah, when they rush it out, of course. Like we don't like rushed games. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think um, two examples. Like I said, I think I think if I, I've said this before on the podcast and on our episode. But like two examples of this whole uh, crunch time culture, which I think is super toxic for the industry, not just uh, video games, animations, all movies, everything. Is just uh, I mean, sometimes there's cases that I think it's kind of acceptable because of the conditions. But, uh, like, the new Witcher series, that's the new installment in the Witcher series is, uh, I think the, it got teased out. I mean, there was a mask of the guy on the snow or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the, there, I think my main art director said that under my watch, there's going to be no crunches. Like, they're not going to, and it's and it's going to take them seven, eight years or something to start uh, 
for them to f- finish the game, which is kind of crazy if you think about yeah. it. A lot of games, a lot of people have spent sometimes no, not decades. There's hasn't been a game that's been worked on a decade, has it been? Aside from online games, of course. <laughs> Um, uh, a single well, game. Star Citizen is getting pretty close now, I think, oh, or they really? already been there. But um, yeah, even though it's kind of out, like you, you can play it in alpha. Um, but uh, oh, there was more. I think one of the GTAs. No, was it Red Dead Redemption? Mm. No, I don't think so. Red Dead Redemption One. No, was I don't think so. Uh, well, the last God of War took almost a decade, I think, or was it over a decade? But they, I think, they canceled it a few times and then started over. Oh yeah, no, I mean um, consistently without getting canceled, like you know. Yeah, no, that doesn't. That usually doesn't happen. And that yeah. doesn't make sense, honestly. For I mean, it depends on mm-hmm. the, what project is it, of course. But here's the thing: there was a, a uh, like the new Witcher thing that said, and also the, the game Hades. Have you played that? Is it like a retro? Oh, I played the first hour and I really enjoyed it. And then for some reason, I didn't continue. Uh, so I still need to pick it up again. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, if it's one of those games, if it's one of those games that if you have a joystick, you can just lay back. It's so fun to just grind. And here's the thing: yeah. yes, you die a lot in the game. That's all a part of the process, but. You don't get discouraged. You just want to keep going. You're, for example, a boss kills you. You just quickly want to rush out all the levels just to get to that same boss again. And you die again. And you get a new weapon. But here's the thing. That game won a lot of awards. And one of the backstage like things that was said was there were forced holidays. Forced holidays for the people who were working on the game. Mm. Like It was mm-hmm. like the reverse of the crunch. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. that resulted in like a super great polished, just amazing Shevskis of a game. Mm-hmm. No? Yeah, I believe in that. Yeah. Also, I, I know there's a couple of studios now that are doing four days a week instead of five. I think that's that's a good thing as well. Um, I mean, obviously, any employee is going to say that's a good thing, but um, but yeah, I'm I'm that I think that's that's a nice direction for the games industry uh, to become a bit more healthy, a bit less crunch focused. Yeah, I mean, it, it would be good, you know, because, uh, like, if you're employees, I mean, of course, I mean, it, right now, even if you had, for example, three days, not just four days, all right, you probably would still do art and stuff, and you just want to just work on your, you know, the stuff you're working on on your off days as well. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. if you're, even if you're in, not, not in rush. But um, I think it's kind of, it's a good thing to also consider, especially in art industry and creative industries to give a little bit of time off specifically for them to work on their personal projects as well you know? yeah because uh, yeah I mean you're working on a game but the, the art that you make for yourself and it's personal is something different you know it's I mean, of course, maybe you also put your heart and soul into the things that you're making in the video games or movies or animation that you're doing. But I personal thing that personal IPs you do for yourself are also super important to also move forward with when yeah. it comes to like, you know, progressing as an just improving as an artist. And mm-hmm. here's the thing. Um, we talked about a lot about like the design process and, and stuff. And I just want to know what is the first, how does your Sorry, I just mixed up the next two questions with each other for a second. <laughs> oh, God. How does your design process usually go anytime you want to start working on a new project? Basically, what does the structure of your pipeline look like? Um, so I guess this is for my personal project, right? Uh, or do you mean for work? Um, both. Okay. Um, I'll start with the personal projects because that's where... Um, <laughs> Uh, that's where I feel most confident in my process uh, at work. I'm still trying to really optimize it. Um, also, I'm not sure how much I can say, of course, about work. But for uh, for my personal projects, um, 
it's first i always want like i'm looking for an idea something that i really really want to make that's that's the most important part for me um so i'm like ah oh, do i do i want to make a uh, a new weapon or a new environment or a new a new vehicle for example um and like i always try to alternate it um but yeah it, it takes me a long time to think of what i want to make always like i i have like 10 ideas and then i try three and i'm like nah this is not it nah this is not it until i find something like okay this is it i i want to commit to this for the next couple of months <laughs> um so yeah then i start doing um well either like 3d super quick 3d blockouts or 2d blockouts depending on the subject um for like for for example the spaceship that's on my art station um i think i only did usually i did mostly 3d blockouts because i wanted to really make sure it, it works from every angle um that i want to render it from uh and then yeah from there it's just a matter of like slowly going from like what, what i call white box or the blockouts phase to gray box where i add some some medium shapes and, and details and i really define where where my pockets of detail are and stuff like that um then i also work with overpaints uh besides doing uh, 3d um because sometimes 2d is faster <laughs> um and then uh i just go to like the final detail phase and then it's time for the my favorite phase which is rendering probably um and during all of this uh i also i'm in like a bit too much but i i constantly um have feedback from friends as well um which is dangerous because so sometimes there's too many cooks in the kitchen you know like too many people everyone has his own opinion on on the design and sometimes you would get like five different answers from uh that like try to pull your direction in five different, uh, pull your concept into five different directions, um, and then you have to kind of you know pick yourself like okay what what do I want to do what do I not want to do, um, but I think asking for feedback a lot is actually <clears throat> it's really important, and now I need to drink. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Cheers, man. Yo, all right. Yeah, no, that's pretty much it. Um, so yeah, I think the rendering is actually probably my favorite phase out of everything because it's like when you make the model shine uh you're just not thinking about designing anymore you're, you're just thinking about presentation and i always really enjoy that and i was just, I was just wondering for texturing what software do you recommend um just in general for 3d mm, if it's for game ready stuff um I mean, it's either going to be Substance Painter or Substance Designer. For like, Substance Designer is usually for creating tileable materials, and then Substance Painter is just to have your if you have like a final baked low poly or or mid poly, um, just to you know apply nice wear and tear and and like play with, play with the materials and try different things. Um, if it's for concept design, I usually don't really um, texture my stuff. It's all procedural based inside Octane. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of Octane. Um, I know there's a lot of other great software, but it's just the one I chose. Um, and yeah, like you, you can do a lot just by using procedural shaders and like do, using uh, like procedural dirt and just layering different materials and mixing them. And like, so you don't have to UV because UVing uh, concept models, you're not going to have a good time. It's <laughs> It's not very UV friendly, so to say. Yeah, and here's the thing. Um, I know that. I mean, based on like you know what the whole of a studio 
what what a studio's choice of like software is like for example maybe a studio is working with maya a studio is working with 3ds max mostly mm. i mean of course most studios do use them hybridly i know that but um yep. the thing is like about blender have you seen or maybe does uh, does it godzilla you know people also use blender as well as main tool or um i mean i I can't say too much, I guess, about what we use. That's something I need to get oh, permission yeah. for. No, no, but, no, we're um, <laughs> Now, just in general, in uh, what, what I've seen around the entire industry is that Blender is being adopted, and most people um, either allow it, uh, and some studios even enforce it. Uh, but, yeah. Damn, enforce it. it it's getting big, Blender. <laughs> yeah. I think it's going to be a standard. It, it won't take long. Yeah, and here's the thing, like, you know... Like regardless of not just Blender, like for example, if you're like a really super cool like 3D artist and just and just know Blender, just for example Blender or not just Blender, just Maya, you just know Maya. You haven't touched anything else. For example, for mm. a, a studio that does only 3ds Max, would the guy that only knows Maya would still get hired? I mean, as long as I mean, like the, the thing that matters, mm. I think, I mean, I assume is just a, like the format of the objects, you know, at the end yeah. of the day. So of course, for concept, for concepting, that that's not really uh, a discussion. Like you, you can pretty much use what you want in any studio. But if when it comes to game ready art, um, I think what most studios do, at least in my experience, um, is they allow the 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 person to model in any software he, um, he wants. But then the final export of the game ready model is from the software the studio chooses. Uh, so at some point, you just have to export your model from, I don't know, Maya to, to Max, and then you do the final export for the game uh, from inside Max. I mean, yeah. imagine like paying like $2,000 or more for teams like a year for the license of Maya or something. Yeah. There's Blender like, LMAO, it's free. Like, you know, it's, it's awesome. I've, I love Blender. I'm sure that plays a big role in, in yeah. uh, studios loving Blender so much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, of course, uh, really awesome that. But, but I think the main thing that's really which helped with Blender a lot and the history has been shown, not just Blender, um, like open source projects have been like dominant, like in history of software. Like take a look mm-hmm. at Linux, you know, it started like 1991, 90, I think. And now like it's one of the biggest like, like operating systems out there, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. like it's even, I mean, the, the whole... Uh, soft main software of like android works on the the kernel is in linux the, the kernel of like you know android phones mm. it's linux uh, the i don't know every single i don't know not every single i'm not going to be too confident and say that but majority of like you know a- appliances like you know a lot of things their m- main os is linux and the only yeah. reason that it grown so much and there's so many like you know um different variety to it is because it just it's open source you know, mm-hmm. and it's the yeah. same with Blender. Blender is open source. There's so many cool add-ons. You can there's just so much to do with Blender. It's insane, like honestly. And um, the thing is, that even one of my friends is just using my learning Maya, and I'm just and, I, and I'm the Blender guy in our group. And uh, basically, I found out like in Maya, you don't have modifiers like in Blender. I was like, damn, it should be so hard there. But yeah, <laughs> and, I actually and I, I like that from Maya when I was using it. It's weird, but I enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, every, everything is different. Uh, they have, they all have their like strengths and weaknesses. But a crazy thing for me was, I think, when I mentioned in another episode, is that Blender was used into in uh, 
this in the creation of the second Spider-Man movie back in like 17, 18 years ago. Like it was one mm, of the main okay. four keyframes and stuff like that. Now you imagine that for a second. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Yeah, back back yeah. then it was basically non-existent almost. I, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Barely anyone knew that. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. That's cool. And that, speaking of like you know we just keep jumping back into past and just a couple of decades later, I was wondering, what was the first art job paycheck you ever got, and what was it for, and how did you feel at the time when you got it? Um. I had the first paycheck i think that was uh i was still in my university for for game art um and this uh i think a friend of mine was working with uh like an architectural visualization company um and he asked me like hey do you do you want to work for this guy just make some extra money uh so me and a friend um uh, this, just decided to go for it basically see how it goes um and then we modeled this it was um, a harbor for somewhere in Africa. I don't remember where it was, but we modeled like this huge harbor uh, for a city that they ended up building uh, for real there as well. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> uh, it was a bit, a bit stressful because it was during graduation that we were like basically working day and night for graduating. Um, or not, not for graduation. It was um, like batch, for the bachelor degree or something like that. Um, think but yeah it was like super hardcore like we we didn't sleep for for a couple of weeks just trying to do that freelance while also being effective at school <laughs> wow that's insane like that's actually the most insane story i've ever heard out of this question like your first art of paycheck and the guy just dead ass just designed that model the whole duck and harbor <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome man <laughs> yeah, it was interesting to try also it was on our laptops um Oh, and God. we didn't really have any experience with like V-Ray, which we had to use for the final render. Um, oh yeah, and then with the same guy, we did another uh, freelance job for him, like not not like just a few months later, where they found some old um, some old bo- like a sunken ship from I don't know the 12th century or whatever. Uh, it was old. I don't know how old it was, but it was like fully wooden, like this frame. Uh, and we got the scans from from the company that's gonna do the. What do you call it when you um, when you resurface like some old ship? I I think that's that's a name for it, but I, yeah, but I forgot. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we we made this whole animation of divers going there with like this big underwater vacuum cleaner, which is what how they actually do this in real life. And they vacuum clean all the sand away, and then they lift the whole boat in this frame onto a barge, and then um, they take it to a museum for restoration. Um, so we did that whole animation for them uh, on our laptops, like rendering it in V-Ray and then sending off stuff to render farms because our laptops just couldn't handle it. Um, and then uh, in the end, that was also I was just watching TV, like the main news channel in the Netherlands, and then suddenly this animation just was on there. Uh, it was super surreal back then. <laughs> what year was it? Ooh, 15, 14, probably 2012 or something like that, I wow. guess. 12, 13, yeah, something like that. Awesome. And all right, we have reached a really interesting section of the podcast. And a lot of people usually wait out for this, which is a question sections of the podcast. And I'm sorry, like this was episode 120, 58, but for 57 and 56, I forgot to put those as stories. And I already said that in the stories. But yeah, that section is back. And all right, let's jump to the questions. All right. So let's jump into our. We had four questions in total. And we 
let's jump into our first question here. Um, all right, let me see. Oh, ich bin Gustjes. Well, our first question is kind of wild. Who's your sister? Like, <laughs> yeah, I bet she sent that herself. I think we already checked it, but um, yeah. yeah, that's uh, that's Husha. That's that's my sister. <laughs> awesome. So we we found out the shout mystery. Out. Yeah, shout out to Ich bin Gustje. The mystery is solved. <laughs> And let's see. Um, Alec Underline Design asks, uh, nature creates designs. And on that note, what's your approach into giving them futuristic tech shapes? Basically, I think they're trying to ask, like, how do you um, get inspired from, get inspirations from nature and just apply to your models? I think that's what they mean, basically. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of different ways to go about this. So in in case of my spaceship, um, it was kind of an accident. Like I just wanted to create like a very flat profile, um, like kind of like the goal with the spaceship was to create something that has like a shell and then details inside the shell. It was more thinking about how you manufacture something. And um, I didn't really want to create the horseshoe crab that it ended up being. Uh, but then at some point... Um, I was just creating this long tail for the spaceship and, and someone pointed out like, dude, this kind of looks like a horseshoe crab. And I, I like, you know, put them next to each other. I'm like, oh shit, you're right. <laughs> so then I was like, well, I better make use of this. And I really tried to like inspire this whole design like way more by the horseshoe crab because it, it, I just went like, I went, I fully went for it, uh, which is something I hadn't done before. It's like getting this, like trying to, to go this crazy when, uh, when using references from nature. Um, but in the end, I'm really glad I did it because I think that's that's how people remember it now as the horseshoe crab spaceship. Um, but in that case, it was more of a mistake. Um, but I mean, in general, I, I try to base stuff on nature more and more nowadays. Um, like, for example, when it comes to how certain like if, if you make a mech for example right um and you you want to design the leg you're not just going to do random stuff like like I, I i'm going to look at how how does anatomy work for a human or for i don't know some insects because i and i would i definitely use that to influence my designs a lot um and then you also i think a, a good example is the gun of a friend of mine uh alex Seneschal. he uh created uh, it's called the croc gun and it's it's a gun that's really that's really designed or influenced by a crocodile, and because of that, the gun automatically gets this super aggressive um, look and feel to it, just because subconsciously you're seeing this crocodile, even though you might not really really realize it. Like your subconsciousness will see it most likely, and you, you're going to get like very aggressive vibes from from the design, just because of this this link that you're creating in your mind. Um, but yeah, like I want to do this more purposefully instead of accidentally finding something it, my my work in progress looks like and then then moving towards that design um, I think it's really cool to, to really try to do that more purposefully yeah definitely and you know I was just wondering like you know I was actually looking at one of your works and I saw a comment and here's the thing one of the biggest like most disgusting thing in the whole internet is these bots comments that says, send this to this profile promote oh, it on oh, yeah, yeah. like like yeah, I, I don't i don't even do that i don't respond to it <laughs> i know i know i know I, of course and the thing is i've been doing this podcast for two, two years and two years and like half or something and here's the thing 
the first year or so, there were none of those comments. But I don't know, mm-hmm. something happened in 2020. Something happened in the end of 2020, early 2021. All this buzz just... It's, just, <laughs> it's one of those things that I just don't enjoy Instagram that much anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Especially, yeah. you're like, oh, I need to respond to someone. Like, oh, God, it's one of those. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, it's super annoying. I know what you mean. <laughs> Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm just filtering it out I'm, in my mind. Like, I, I just don't even see it anymore. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, but imagine you could troll someone by just commenting under you. Says, just promote this on like this random page and your friend probably sees it and says, oh, it's one of those bots. Oh, wait, it's not a bot. It's him. And they're like, ah. Oh. That's in new ways. <laughs> yeah, you should right. try it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I should. I should. But I probably, but I think, I, I think, I don't think that works for me because if I do that, probably they think I'm actually a bot and just report my account. So yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, don't do it. <laughs> yeah. All right, so the next question, I, I S L E E N because their name is just dot spin with them. Islin, Islin, I don't know. Ask, ask him about his rendering process, please. So mm-hmm. tell us about your rendering process, please. Yes. Um, so I render in Octane. Um, uh, there's like, I use a standalone version. Like a lot of people use, I think, the Cinema 4D plugin um, or the Blender version. Uh, I see a lot as well nowadays. But um, yeah, for me, it's a standalone version just because I like to have my... Like with the standalone, you have this one big window with your renders in it and your material creation graph on the bottom, basically. Um, whereas when I, if I use it inside Max or Maya or Blender, it's always this shuffling between windows, opening other windows for your render settings, and then you have to close that, and then you have to open your, your shading view to do your materials. Um, and I, I just like to have everything in one place, uh, which the standalone does really well, I think. Um, though the downside is uh, I think you cannot have multiple viewports. So sometimes when you... Um, I'm I'm just making this into advertisement for Octane now, but uh, when you have your um, uh, your like your render view, sometimes you want to move around and tweak stuff in your scene while still seeing your render view as well on like uh, in a different viewport. But unfortunately, that's not possible, which is I think for me the only really big downside of the of the standalone. But other than that, I I love using it. It it's it's so fo- like you're just focusing on rendering and you don't have to deal with anything else interface wise that's not related to rendering, um, which keeps me really focused. And yeah, so yeah, that's Octane. And then um, what I always do is I start doing my base materials, uh, nothing too fancy, and I just throw in a quick HDRI to find some some decent lighting, uh, and then I go in and I tweak the lighting for each separate shot that I make for my portfolio. Um, I just you know, I, I place these light planes around and I try to highlight all the different edges and the backlights. And um, yeah, then I just spent a long time tweaking that until I'm happy with what I have. All right. Awesome. <laughs> and last but not least, the last question. Internet Surf uh, Faya or Faja, I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name, asks... Um, where does he get his inspiration mostly? Movie, anime, machines, etc. Hmm. Um, it's mostly just looking at real-world references nowadays. Like I have Pinterest, or it's this new thing called. Um, I have it open here. It's called Save S A V E E, which you can import your Pinterest library, um, and it basically 
it presents it way nicer than Pinterest itself, I think. Um, but yeah, that, I just have loads of images of real-world mechanics, uh, military vehicles, um, just random random greeble stuff from machines uh that and that's usually what i try to use now so i don't really look at movies or or other artworks that much anymore i think at some point it's better to just look at well depending on the art you're making but in my case i make more grounded stuff so i i try to look at um real world machinery and how is stuff manufactured and uh stuff like that um and yeah, also there's one Pinterest Pinterest page that I love. It's called Film Designer, and this this guy has like the biggest, most insane collection of ref that, that I've ever seen. <laughs> it's it's um, he has everything is categorized by hard surface or um, like different movie sets or like characters or like it, it's very well maintained and lo- lots of golden reference in there. All right, I'll personally check them out as well because I'm kind of interested. <laughs> and all right, so here's an interesting question, which is: Who are your f- favorite artists and designers that have inspired you the most? Okay. Um, well, I'm gonna start with the cliche, which probably most people say, but I mean, he's so good that I always have to mention it, and that's uh, Vitali Bogorov. Um, I just love his stuff, and also just to. If I hear him uh, talk in any podcast or whatever, I always get super inspired just by how dedicated he is to his craft. He's like, um, it's it's kind of cringy, but I, I always say the David Goggins of of 3D. Uh, like he's just so dedicated and he has he's so strict about what he does and about that it's um, something I, I strive to be I, I strive to be as dedicated basically. Um, even though I'm kind of chilling the last few <laughs> the last few months, I need a bit of a break after the spaceship. But um, then we have uh, Joshua Cutter, uh, a friend of mine. I think his designs are super like he really thinks about how to manufacture stuff or like he even models in manufacturing mistakes on purpose into his models um and he thinks about material like sheet metal looks like sheet metal and um like molded plastics really are really look like molded plastics when he designs stuff um and that's something i love and i think he does super well um and there's a a lot to learn in in that area i think um then we have alex sinichel a friend of mine as well who um i mean he kind of set the bar for for gun design and detail even though it's not my style it's not i would never try to create stuff like that uh it's more the like it goes more into the like very smooth curves and kind of like the halo art style basically um i hope i'm not offending him now when i say this but i know he loves halo so it's probably fine um but um yeah, I love that stuff, and you can see like he, like there's a lot of people now who are doing the, who basically took what what he did and are applying his, their own twist to it. Um, and other than that, um, I mean, there's loads of artists I like, but I, I would say those are the big three for me. All right, awesome, and. Well, let's take a little break from all these art questions, and I want to ask you something. Um, aside from art, um, what other hobbies and like you know other like art, non-art goals do you have? Like not just goals, hobbies and goals, and just aspirations, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
if you would have asked this question like uh what is it six years ago seven years ago i would say like eh, not much i just like doing art a lot <laughs> but then at some point i realized like okay i should probably you know start doing stuff besides uh besides just sitting by my pc and and grinding all day um so then i started picking up some hobbies uh, so currently i'm skateboarding a lot um, which I used to do like maybe 15 years ago, and then I stopped. Uh, but now I'm picking it up again, and I'm yeah really enjoying just being outside and and getting better at it. I, I feel like it's pretty similar to art, um, where like getting better at, getting better at skateboarding is kind of the same as getting better at art. Like you have to re- you have to really think about sort like think about like you pick one thing and you want to get better at it and you start practicing that for like a week straight um so yeah that's what i'm doing a lot then bouldering um i'm really into that lately uh which is for those who don't know what it is bouldering is basically climbing without a rope and less high so you don't you know <laughs> so you basically survive the fall um i think the walls are like four meters high at max usually um and there's like super short intense routes um of, of climbing that i try to do like i go twice a week now um and it's it's like i don't know it's i always get lots of energy just by doing it even though you use a lot of energy like i get home and i'm hyped and i'm psyched to do art for example um so that's that that really helps with that then um music uh i recently got into djing a bit so i got two turntables um and then i tried to you know i want to learn how to mix techno for example i am really into techno so i try to buy lots of vinyl and and i'm learning how to mix over without without it sounding like shit basically um and then finally uh let's see the music um yeah windsurfing i'm also really into that which it's uh, underrated i think i i almost never meet people who windsurf uh, and i think more people should try it because it's first of all super humbling like it's extremely hard to well not extremely hard but it's really hard to get uh to get good enough to enjoy to enjoy it a lot, where it gets exciting, because of course it gets exciting when you start learning to go fast and jump and stuff. Um, and to get to that point is like a proper journey of just falling and misery and lots of swimming. And <laughs> uh, I, I I recommend people to to give it a go. Um, just get a personal or get do some classes for a while and see if you like it. Um, it and it also you have to travel for it, which is also a, a bonus, I guess, because you get to see a lot of new areas of wherever you live or wherever you you travel to. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Right, and of course, I mean, it's, it was kind of obvious. I mean, from the start, like yeah, on the camera of behind your back, we can see like that sort of thing, finger hole thing on your bed. On yeah, yeah, bed. finger strength. Yeah. <laughs> and do you also use that uh, on the on the thing for top for pull ups? Yeah, it has like uh, on the top you can grab over it basically, and then you can also ah. do pull-ups. So especially when um, when Corona started, uh, I the climbing gyms closed, and I was like, okay, I don't want to lose all my grip strength uh, and just upper body strength in general. So I I just bought that thing. So every day um, during lunch break or whatever, I would just hang there. <laughs> awesome, yeah. man. awesome. And well, all right, we've reached the final section of the podcast, which is called Final Boards. And let me explain what that means. Basically, 
imagine in a short, you have like a short amount of time and in that window of opportunity, you could say anything from you yourself as a human to another human being. And who's that another human being? That another human being is every single person who's listening to this podcast and at any point in the future. Uh, in that case, what do you have to say? Um, okay, that's a tough question. I will think about this. Um, yeah, I would say, okay, there's this one quote that I heard. Uh, I was watching uh, Book of Boba Fett, if, uh, you know, the new series on uh, Disney+. Plus. Um, I Actually, I wasn't that much into it, uh, but then, uh, I mean, I, I, I always just keep watching it anyway, even the most shitty show i would never enjoy if i started i would probably still finish it um but now this was pretty okay i enjoyed it but there was this one quote in it that i thought was um super cool and that really really hit me and it was um repetition without insight leads to the same outcome uh, and I thought that was super cool because, like, there's this whole rule in the industry about 10,000 hours. Like, if you if you spend 10,000 hours on something, um, you're gonna master it. But I think just doing the same thing for 10,000 hours and not thinking about why stuff works or doesn't work or why certain things uh, are better than other things or why you're like th think about your process or how you get to certain results um you you need to not just do it you need to also when you're done with it go back and think about what went well and what didn't go well and think about your process and what what's improving or what what can you do better than last time um so yeah therefore the quote rep repetition without insight leads to the same outcome um i think that's very true um yeah so don't don't just don't just um keep making art and doing the same thing all the time um it you you will get better like of course you're building up a, a shape library a shape library in your head um and you'll get faster at like you you get hotkeys and stuff like that and you're gonna get faster but you're gonna have so much more benefit from everything if you like write down what goes well write down what doesn't work uh, really think about what you're doing and don't just do it if that makes sense there's a lot of things that i think are super wrong but are so super common in the whole culture of like motivation and everything one of one of the things one of those things is what you said that put 10,000 hours to become master no 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 even maybe maybe even 100 hours with that good insight and like good mindset and a goal is even much more effective than just 10,000 hours of just blah blahing. Like, you mm -hmm. could just, you know, for example, draw circles and lines and triangles and all the basic shapes, you know, for, I don't know, for a year consistently, but that doesn't make you a good designer or artist, you know? Mm -hmm. And another one is, I think, is there are people who are hardcore on just doing something every day, like, you know, like working out every day, even if you're injured, you know, you should do it, do it every day. Like, no. Like, I mean, here's the thing, yeah, like, yeah. I, I know there are a lot of people at the very top of their fields who say that's because, I mean, of course, people wouldn't listen to, uh, like, a guy like me who hasn't achieved much, like, basically nothing, let's be honest, <laughs> but uh, compared to someone who's, uh, like, a world champion or something like that. But honestly, like, here's what I, what I found. When I go deep into something and I practice a lot every day, be consistent discipline. I feel like I hit a plateau sometimes. We always do. We hit plateaus and mm. everything. And here's the thing. Sometimes taking a break from it, not just physically, but mentally as well. Go do something else. And come back a week later. See the magic happen. Your plateau yeah. is gone. 
Mm-hmm. And here's it, it goes against what those like top motivators and just hardcore guys say. And for a long time, I used to be have that type of mentality. I mean, I mean, it's good because m- mostly people are lazy. I mean, I'm lazy. I mean, we, we are all at some at to some extents. Um, so having that equipping that kind of kind of like mentality of like doing this hard way every day, hardcore could at the end be helpful in the grand scheme of things. But overall, you should also be, you know, be aware of that. Yeah. If you feel like you feel a plateau, honestly, like it's a time to take a break actually. And it's not a bad thing. It's not a negative thing. It's a super positive thing actually. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, um, it kind of plays into the, that's this formula um, from, uh, it's in a book. I forgot the title, but it's like rest plus stress equals growth. Um, so it's, if you just do stress, you, you're, you won't grow as much. If you just do rest, of course, you won't grow as much. And you like having a bit of both is like the, the best um, the best formula to for growth in in whatever you want to get good at. Yeah, definitely. And with that being said, we've reached the end of this podcast, end of this episode, episode 158. Thank you so much for joining and thank you to anyone who tuned in to listen to this podcast or watching on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed it and learn something good uh, from it and here's the thing where can people contact you if they had a question or just want to ask something uh you can always send me a message on artstation or instagram um i also have twitter but i'm not on there that much um i think yeah artstation or or uh, instagram is the best place to contact me all right, there you have it. I have it on the caption sections as well. Those the links to Twitter, website, our session, all of that. And I'm saying Instagram page, of course. And with that being said, take care, everyone. And let me know if there's anything I should, you know, take into consideration in the comments as well. Or you can DM me a message or something. It's fine. And that's about it. Take care, everyone. Stay safe. Bye. See ya. <laughs>